Welcome to the Equipers Church Budapest podcast. We hope today's message will encourage and inspire you. For more information, check equiperschurch.au. Uh, and the series is going to take you all the way to Easter. And we have simply called it the cross. The cross. I want to go back to the foundations of what we are preaching. Uh, you know, I mean, there is a lot of stuff we talk about from the pulpit here, but the cross is central. It's all about the cross of Jesus. And I'm going to uh, preach, uh, especially in the, in the next few weeks, going to preach from just one single verse. That's going to be the main launch pad. One single verse, and I'm sure all of you know this scripture. Um, I've learned the scripture back in Sunday school many years ago. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. So I wonder if we could just do this together, read this together, speak this together tonight. Are you ready? Yeah. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Hopefully by the end of this series, if you don't know this scripture by memory yet, you will. You will. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, the cross um, and uh, especially tonight, I'm going to focus on the first part of this verse. Um, but uh, let me just, as a way of introduction, say that during the time of the Persians and the Romans, the cross or the crucifixion was the most brutal way of execution. When Jesus suffered the death on the cross, he suffered the most inhuman and the most brutal way of execution, of killing a human being. And the truth is, he did it without any fault of his own. He was a God and a man, 100% God and a 100% man. He sacrificed himself in our place vicariously. And then he took upon himself the guilt of all mankind. So Jesus is hanging on the cross sinless, no sin of his own, but on him, the sins of every human being of past, present, and future were placed on that day. At that very moment, the sins of each of us rested on him to be punished. And this happened so that the perfect standard of holiness of God would be satisfied. Our sins, our guilt, could not just simply be overlooked. You know, God just couldn't sweep our sins under the carpet as if nothing had happened. But because Jesus did this, we do not have to be sentenced for eternity in hell without God. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, untouched by sin, he came into the world with this single mission. He was born supernaturally by Mary, a virgin, and he lived a sinless and a supernatural life. And now he was hanging on the cross in our place, vicariously in our place. 
Now, friends, uh, maybe you are like me. I've heard this message from my childhood. I grew up in a Christian home, and I've heard this so many times. I actually have a pretty good command of the story. I know a lot of the details, but for a very long time, it was uh, not always, you know, an essential reality for me. Um, but there were a few incidents on my journey growing up where this became a reality for my own life. Let me share a couple of them. The first one was when I was at the age of five and I was, uh, I was uh, staying over at my grandparents' place in a village. Um, and um, one night, I woke up in the middle of the night and the thing that I remember, I was very small, five years old, and what I remember was that the darkness in the room was like total. There was 100% darkness in the room and I almost didn't know where I was. But then I remember seeing a cross in the room, like from the ceiling all the way to my bed. And I freaked out and I went under the blankets. And I will never forget the thing. Now, I'm not sure now looking back if this was a vision or if it was a dream. But the reality of the cross of Jesus was very real that night to me. And then when I was nine, I was in a church meeting just like tonight. And I was sitting on the first row. Did you know that the first row is dangerous? <laughs> I was sitting on the first row. And that night, I surrendered my life to Jesus. I responded to the call. And I, I asked God to forgive me of my sins. And I was, I was born again that night. And... Um, and I, I received the prophetic scripture that night, and it was from the story of uh, the 100 sheep. Uh, the shepherd left the 99, and he went after the one. And for me, a little boy, age nine, this was such a real experience that night. I was crying. I was overwhelmed with the power of God, with the power of God's love and His, and his forgiveness. And then when I was about 12 or 13... Um, for the first time in my life, I actually watched uh, a movie on uh, Jesus, a movie on crucifixion. It was a Lutheran pastor who invited us to his house, and it was a black and white TV, a videotape. Some of you are old enough to remember. Don't, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. It was a VHS uh, tape, and so he played to us, you know, the life of Jesus. And I will never forget this. When it came to the crucifixion story, I was in utter shock. Jesus being flogged and, and beaten up and the crown of thorns put on his head. And then he was crucified. And I was watching then. I remember tears running down my face. Just almost like trying to understand that, wow, the Jesus my parents told me about, he actually went through this torture for me in my place. And so in my childhood, early on, somehow the cross became a revelation. The cross became a powerful thing in my understanding of who Jesus is. And then Jesus became for me more than just a mythical figure. He became more than just some kind of a religious uh, leader or a historical person. He became my personal savior and then even more, my best friend. 
I wonder if there's anybody in the house who can say the same, that Jesus is your personal Savior and He's also your best friend. Anyone? Anyone in the house? Come on. So in the next coming weeks, we will preach about the cross of Jesus. And I really pray, just like Paul said to the Galatians, that the cross of Jesus would be revealed to you. That you would understand what Jesus went through. And not just that, but that you would get a passion in your heart to bring this message to many others. So I'm going to go back to the scripture we read in the, in the very beginning. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Today I'm going to focus on the first couple of words in this passage. Um, the words that say God so loved the world. Can we say this together? Kindergarten. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. God, there's a power, there was power in confession, yeah? There's power when we speak the word of God together. God so loved the world. You're amazing, you're amazing. So friends, the event that happened over Jerusalem on Golgotha was an act of God's love. I'm going to speak today on the love of God. God so loved the world. That is the section I'm going to speak on tonight. Um, you know, it's not in my human abilities to explain this. And I trust the Holy Spirit will unload and reveal that personally to you. For most of us, it is a scene. It is something that we can watch in movies. For Jesus, it was physical, mental, and spiritual torment. And for the heavenly father, it was unimaginable suffering to see his son suffer on the cross. That is how he loved the world. So as I speak now, I'm going to touch on uh, three things, three words. The first one is so. He so loved the world. The, the little world. The little word, so, uh, speaks about the dimension of God's love. The dimension of God's love. You know, when we ask small, small children, I'm, I'm sure you guys do that as well. How big are you going to be, little Johnny? What does the little Johnny do? He goes like, I'm going to be so big. Yeah? Have you done it? Come on. Do you do that to kids? Yeah. How big are you going to be? And they go like, ah, oh, I'm going to be so big. You know, when we ask God, how big is your love to us? What he does, he goes like this. The cross shows it. When Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross, he showed to us and he proved to us how much God loves us, church. That's how much He loves us. This is how much He loves us. Do you want to do that to your neighbor now? Like, that's how much He loves us. You know, the love we are able of, like the love that we love with, is selfish. 
we have benefits, especially, you know, the experience, husbands and wives, you know, they're like, I love you because it's good for me. <laughs> Come on, be true. Yeah. I'm going to love you for the rest of my life because it's good for me. It's a good thing to get married. Yeah. For the most part. <laughs> We also have conditions when we love someone. I'm going to love you if you do this, right? And it's going to cost you something. And our love is also temporary. I'm going to love you this far. But the love of God is totally different. His love is unconditional. His love is selfless. And His love is eternal. Can somebody say amen? amen. His love is unconditional. His life is is selfless, and His love is eternal. God loves each person so much that He gave the most precious thing, His only Son. And at the same time, He knew that so many would reject Him. Here is a scripture in John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover, uh, the Easter in Jerusalem, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Can you see that? He loved them to the end. Now he's with the disciples in the upper room and they have bread and wine. They're eating lamb. And then he knows that what's coming after this is the cross. He knows that, you know, there is no more vacation. There is no more mission trips. It's the cross now. And so this is what the scripture says here. And now he's going to show them that he loves them all the way to the end. His love was complete. His love was final. His love was perfect. And here before the last supper... He tells them, He explains to them, He shows them, He demonstrates to them that His love is complete. That He, he is motivated to go to the cross by His love. Another scripture, 1 John 3, 1. This is what John tells us. We call Him the Apostle of God's love. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called the children of God. Wow. See how great the love of God is. See how huge the love of God is. How great the Father's love is. See, many virtuous people sacrifice themselves. Many people sacrifice their lives even and those are powerful stories. I love to watch movies, you know, true stories with, you know, a sacrifice in it. They're meaningful stories, but no one, no virtuous person, no religious leader loved like that. No one has done for you what Jesus has done for you. No one has done for us what God did through the person of Jesus for us. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, this is what the Bible says. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the crucifixion, 
when Jesus dies on the cross, is a demonstration of the love of God. This is how He loves us. For God so loved the world. This is how God loved the world. I hope I'm making this clear enough for us to understand that this is the dimension of His love. This is how much He loves us. This is how He demonstrated His love to us. That's why the cross. Hence the brutality of His faith. For God so loved. Here's my second point tonight. The word loved speaks about the definition of God's love. So first we talked about the dimension of God's love. Here, let me talk to you about the definition of God's love. You know, God defines His uh, love, or let me put it this way. God defines this verb love differently than, what we, than how we define it. We love as humans with all the limitations of our corrupt nature. Yeah, we, ha- we love in our own way. But God reads this verb love differently than us. His love comes from His heart, from His innermost being. The love of God is an expression of His heart. There is nothing fake in it. It's authentic. It's real. Um, There is a there is a word there is a there is a word a Hebrew word I want to I want to talk to you about in the Old Testament. um, It's it's a word that um, is used two hundred and forty eight times in the Old Testament. I didn't count it, but I trust Google. (laughs) Two hundred forty eight times. In the Old Testament, and the word is chesed. Uh, the tran- translators translate it as grace or mercy or love. Um, in the book of Psalms, chapter 136, the first uh, verse actually says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His love endures forever. Chesed. And in each of the 26 verses in this chapter, the word chesed is. Now, in the Old Testament, um, what is expressed in chesed is an act moved by compassion. So, the love of God is both a feeling and it is an act. Let me take you to a story in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. Uh, so several times in the book of Hosea, the word chesed is mentioned. Um, let me read one of those to you in chapter 2. I will, be, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice. In love, chesed, and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness. And you will acknowledge the Lord. Now, many of you would know the story of Hosea. Uh, what happens here, the prophet, um, he, he gets a mission. He gets a task from the Lord. Um, he is supposed to go through a 
very painful prophetic gesture. Uh, and in this uh, prophetic act, he should demonstrate, he should show how um, Israel's unfaithfulness affects God's heart. So God tells him to marry an unfaithful wife. And in this act, he should mirror God's heart. So Hosea is supposed to propose to a lady of questionable reputation and marry her. Um, we are not sure if it was a prostitute or if it was a married woman who already committed adultery. But we know that she was stigmatized uh, and she fell to the moral bottom of society and she was under religious judgment. And Hosea is supposed to seek her heart. He's supposed to win her. He's supposed to offer her a relationship. He's supposed to have children with her. Hosea, the son of Beri, the prophet, and Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, the prostitute. I can imagine the wedding ceremony where uh, he's being asked, are you taking Gomer in marriage in your own free will? And deep in his heart he's like, because of Chesed, I am. Then their first child is born. Hosea, after nine months of waiting and anticipation, he's like, wow, awesome. God's love broke his heart for this lady, for Gomer. Finally a son. But then we find out that after this, Gomer apparently has two more children, but not with him, with someone else. She breaks his heart again. And he is supposed to name the children born by his wife from relationships with someone else. He's supposed to give them names. And then in chapter 3, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I'm not sure why the Bible is again raisin cakes. You're supposed to laugh, thank you. And then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. And what Hosea does here is breathtaking. What he does, he has to buy her back for half the price of a slave. 15 silver coins. Maybe she was a property by then, a property of some slave owner or a pimp. And he had to buy her back, redeem her to himself. Now, it's a picture, it's a prophetic picture how much God, how much God loves us. It's a beautiful story that illustrates to us how much God loves us. How scandalously God loves us. This is his definition of love. His love is ready to redeem us. 
In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, this is what we read. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world, world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the definition of God's love. So we talked about the dimension of God's love. So we talked about the definition of God's love, loved. And let me talk to you now, number three, about the object of God's love, the world. For God so loved the world. We, we have a very um, common word used in this passage for the world, world uh, cosmos. Uh, and when, when you read that, it, it doesn't just mean the universe or the nature, but it especially means the population, the people, the human race. In other words, God so loved the human race. Men and women, sons and daughters. A, a loving God created the human race with wisdom, with architecture and design. Yeah. And he maintains a, a, a warm relationship, a growing relationship uh, with his created children, the sons and daughters. We are the object of God's love. Amen? We, we are the object. That's who God loves. God loves us. Now we read in the book of Psalms chapter 8 that we are the crown of creation. This is what it says. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. See, I love the fact that when God was creating the universe, He simply spoke a word. He simply said, let there be. And there was. Things came into existence the stars, the planets, the animals, the nature, it came into existence. But when he is getting ready to create Adam, what he does is much more. He bowed down to the dust of the earth and he touches the dust of the earth and he shapes the dust. And when he forms it, he will breathe his spirit into it. So we are not just a product of some kind of a cosmic mechanics. We are a product of the love of God. That is why He loves us. Come on. Come on. Now, that is why He loves us. Because we are His kids. Every parent loves his kids. God loves us because we are his fingerprints. He left his fingerprints on us as he made us. Now, the problem arose when we voluntarily left his presence. In the Garden of um, Eden, Adam sinned. And the human race lost the image of God. The bond between the creator and the creation was broken. And we have become 
lost sons and daughters. We have strayed away from God's purpose. Sin came between us and our maker. We have lost our relationship and our intimacy with God. But friends, I am so happy that God didn't give up on us. And that He did an extra mile so He could save us. So He could win us back. He sent His only begotten Son. Now, I love the fact that the Son of God became one of us so that we, His lost kids, could now be the children of God again. Are you getting this? The Son of God became one of us so that we could be His kids once again. Again, sons and daughters, He redeemed us. I love the scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is what it says. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This, is now, this, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. So we are now his sons and his daughters because of the cross. Because of the redemption on the cross. Now as we close, I want to illustrate this with uh, probably one of the most well-known stories that Jesus told. We know this story as the story about the prodigal son. But I want to explain this story as the story about the prodigal father. Because it's the father who is given lavishly everything. He gave him everything he had. And he gave him ultimately his forgiveness. Even though he didn't deserve it. Now you know how the father had two sons. And the younger son, he left the father's house. And he used everything. He used all of the resource. He lost it. And he comes to the lowest point of his life. And this is when he tells himself, I got to go back to the father. And so he comes back to his senses and there is a deep uh, fight within him and he decides, I'm going to go back. Now that's the critical point in the story. He decides to go back. And then we read that as he approaches the father's house, there's an incredible scene. The father is waiting for him. The father is running to him. Now, last year we had a guest speaker here and he was explaining a little bit about what happened in between. Now, there is um, a ceremony, a Jewish ceremony that is known as Kezazah. And we don't read about that in the Bible, but from history we know that when a Jewish boy left a community and went to live with the Gentiles and he would lose everything, he would lose his property, there was a Kezazah ceremony, which means he had to come to the city gates and the elders of the city uh, would uh, break a jar of clay 
And they would take a piece of that jar, of that uh, clay jar, and would show it uh, to the boy uh, and, and would say that you broke your father's heart, son. And you are no longer part of the family. You are separated now. And so this separated him from his family and from his community and from faith and from the promises of Israel. The father could not even be at the Kezaza ceremony. The father had to stay at home. Only the mother could come. And so when we see the prodigal son's father, I call him the prodigal father, running towards the boy. It's like, I want to be there at the city gates before they would expel him. Before they would judge him. It's like, I want to show him that I receive him. I I want to show him that I receive him. And it's like he wanted to prevent the Kezaza ceremony. And not just that, but in those days, a virtuous man could not run because otherwise he would expose his feet, his legs. Yeah. So when we see the father running towards the son, he breaks all the rules. He runs to stop the kezaza. And now the relationship is restored and the lost son is returned again to the father's house. Friends, this is the object of God's love. It's the lost sons and daughters. That's the object of the love of God. So, that's the dimension of God's love. He loved. That is the definition of God's love. The world that is the object of God's love. I wonder if we could uh, stand up for just a moment as we close this message. Uh, There was a famous uh, theologian, uh, one of the most famous theologians of the 20th century uh, with the name of Karl Barth. Um, And if you love theology, he wrote uh, uh, so much on theology that would actually fill up your whole library. But towards the end of his life... uh, the reporter, a reporter asked him, uh, Mr. Barth, what is the most, what is the biggest revelation or discovery that you have made in all of your theological studies over decades? And you know what he told them? He said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Let's do that again. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me 
Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. If I didn't preach anything tonight, after Karl Barth writing hundreds of books on theology, he says, this is my biggest discovery. The love of God. Just the fact that Jesus loves me. And friends, I want to tell you tonight that this is your identity. Your identity is not um, who you are in the eyes of the people. Your real identity is who you are in the eyes of God. Your real identity is that you are a son and a daughter. That is your price tag. You know what is your, your price tag is the blood of Jesus. That's how much you're worth to God. He paid with his own price for your salvation. That's how much worth he sees in you. So I don't care what the enemy tells you or whoever tells you stuff about your life that you amount to and you don't amount to anything. He says you are worthy. He says you're worthy of his love. He, and he showed it. He demonstrated his love by going to the cross for you, for your own life, for your salvation. Somebody should get excited about these guys. That's how much he loves you. Come on. Let's give Jesus some praise. I have, I have one more uh, sentence and then we're going to pray. Uh, there was a famous uh, uh, hymn writer. Uh, her name was Fanny Crosby. She wrote, if I remember correctly, maybe 6,000 songs about Jesus. 6,000 songs. And you know what? She was blind all of her life. She could not see. She was blind and she wrote about 6,000 songs Talk about a heart of worship. And this is what she said at the end of her life. She says, if I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. You understand the love of God, nothing else matters. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit lets that sink into your identity. We live in a time of in the era of comparison and competition, but there is no competition, there is no um, earning of his love. You simply receive it. And tonight, like, let's just, for a moment, just start to thank Him for how much He loves you. Just start to thank Him. Just start to worship Him wherever you are. Just tell Him, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for going on the cross to pay for my redemption. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for the love of God. Thank you for the love of Jesus. Come on, let's just, let's just express our adoration, our worship. Come on, our gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your salvation, Jesus. I believe that tonight is a time of uh, committing our lives to Jesus and recommitting our lives to Jesus.
And before we close this message, before we go anywhere else, I want to give the most important invitation right now. And the invitation is to simply open your heart to the love of God. See, you don't have to do anything else because He did everything. He stretched out His hands on the cross and He died for you. Amen. He did everything. You just need to open your heart and receive it. And so you may be in this place and you have never really surrendered your life to Jesus. You have never really surrendered your life to God because you never really understood how much He loves you. Then tonight is your night. Tonight is your time to open your heart to Jesus. Or maybe you've been following Jesus, but you forgot how much He loves you. It became a tradition. It became something that you knew since your childhood, but you stopped to appreciate it. And you grew distant from the Father. And tonight He's asking you, would you come back? Would you come back to me? Would you come back to me? This is how much I love you. And so all over this place right now, if we could just close our eyes for a minute. And this is between you and Jesus who died for you. Imagine Jesus on the cross looking at you and telling you, this is how much I love you. How much now do you love me? And so with everybody in, in the house tonight, I just want to simply challenge you. If, if you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, then this is your opportunity. Or if you have grown distant from Him and you want to come back tonight, this is your opportunity. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you if you want to do that to, in just a minute to raise your hand and we'll pray together. But two things are needed. The first one is something we call repentance. When you ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins. And the second thing is faith. When you put your trust into what He did on the cross and you say, I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. And so right now as we are in His presence and we have our eyes closed and I simply want to ask you if, you if you want to give your life to Jesus or if you want to recommit your life to Jesus, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? Yeah. Just for a moment, put your hand up so I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Wherever you are. This is your time of reconnecting with the Father. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Yeah. Is there anyone else? Come on. Yes, Lord. Come on. There is no condemnation. Thank you, Lord. Now, this is a family. This is a family of reconnecting with the Father. This is a, we are a family, all of us. We are sons and daughters who came back to the Father. And so let's pray this together right now as a church. Let's pray this with our full voice. And, and let's, let's receive the Father's love tonight, okay? Let's say this together. Dear Jesus. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Tonight I declare that I want to belong to you. Cleanse me from my sin. Make me a new person. 
make me one of your sons and daughters. I put my trust in you. I believe you died and you rose again. And tonight I want to become your follower. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with a fresh power so I could follow you until the end. Hallelujah. So just pray for a moment wherever you are. Let's just pray together. Yeah, come on. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Move by your Holy Spirit right now. Move by your Holy Spirit right now. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you for stories of salvation that will come from this place. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for reconnecting. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.